Good morning, Third Reform. Good to be back with you again. Uh, it's a real delight. And I want to continue to thank you for your support and encouragement of Casey in this pilgrimage and this season of life that he's in. Uh, he is in the midst of ongoing training and testing. I don't know if you know it, but in our denomination, for someone to become an ordained minister, they have to go through tests. We have five written test exams uh, that take uh, approximately three hours each. He has to write these exams. He's done three of them uh, already, submitted them, and now he, then, now, he has, now he has to go to the examination committee and be interviewed and examined by them. Then he comes to Presbytery where everyone on the floor hears his testimony, but then hears an examination, and, and they are permitted to ask any question on Bible, on theology, on church history. <laughs> he has been working very hard, and your support is wonderful, and it looks good so far, so keep praying for him, especially in the next couple weeks. Um, because, again, unashamedly, this, our denomination believes in the centrality, the foundation of the Bible. The Bible is what makes the Christian faith what it is. It's the revelation of Almighty God. So someone who is an ordained minister better know the Bible, right? <laughs> but not just generally, but specifically. Um, that's why in our sermon this morning, I'm talking about Christian growth, but I'm assuming a lot of things. I'm assuming the importance of the Bible, <laughs> and I'm assuming the importance of Jesus himself teaching us this. But I also want to just rehearse with you, before we look into this passage in Peter, uh, I want to back up and put it in its context of what growth, uh, what learning is all about. In our denomination, if you know in this denomination, yes, we believe the Bible, but we have standards that reflect the teaching of the Bible. And two of those, one is known as the Westminster Confession of Faith. It was written in the 1600s, and it was reflecting almost 33 chapters highlighting what we think the Bible teaches, what is really important. But in addition to that, there's a thing called the catechisms, the larger and shorter catechisms. They're simply questions to help people remember what the Bible teaches. The very first question, many of you already know this, but the very first question of the shorter catechism that were designed for children to learn as well as adults uh, they ask the question, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what's your purpose in living? Why are we even here? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So let's back up and do that again. Let's practice, little children, what this answer is. Friends, what is the chief end of man? And together, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If you don't hear anything else in this sermon, <laughs> remember that. Why are you here? Why am I here? It's not for me. It's not for you. It's for Christ's sake. We are here to, no, to glorify God and to enjoy him. But you can't do that unless you are growing, right? Let's get growing. What does that mean? To grow as a Christian basically means you have both knowledge and experience of God. You don't just know about God, do you? You actually know God personally. You really can't have one without the other, can you? But I see this all too frequently in my role as the dean of students at the seminary. Unintentionally, 
Many students are almost possessed with trying to gain knowledge and, and really know the Bible. But sadly, they neglect the importance of the grace of, of Christ as well. It's almost like they feel like the key to the Christian life is conceptual knowledge. The more I know, boy, the more important I'm going to be and the more influential I'll be. That's not what the Bible teaches. On the other hand, we have to be careful, don't we? We're not just trying to feel Jesus or experience God without knowledge of him. That's just as dangerous, isn't it? Just to think, well, I've got I to I feel God. I don't know what that means, but I'm just going to try to feel God and experience him. Friends, pouring your heart out to God, it's not emptying your mind. It's actually engaging all of you, both mind and spirit, in the pursuit of God himself. So the problem is not so much understanding our need to grow as, as Christians as much as it is, how do we do that? What does that look like? All kinds of books and seminars have been written down through the ages. Here's how you grow as a Christian. Here's what you must do. I don't think you'll find a better answer than in our scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to that. Second, uh, third, uh, Second Peter chapter 3. And this is the last few verses that Peter wrote. Uh, that's found on page 1019 of your pew Bibles, but we're going to be reading just a few verses, starting at verse 14 in chapter 3 of Peter's final letter. Hear now the word of God. Peter says this, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. You, therefore... Beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Again, you can't get a better answer. You want to know how to grow as a Christian? <laughs> grow in the knowledge and the experience of Jesus. That means get to know God through his word and cry out to God in his spirit. You know, Christian growth, think about it. It's, it's one of those things we all agree on. Everybody who professes to be a Christian all agrees, I want to keep growing. But we find it hard sometimes to clearly define what that is and how to make it work. I would suggest this. <laughs> That Christian growth is one of the greatest needs in the church of Christ today, today of all days. And I say that in contrast of Christian growth in contrast to Christian survival. I think we, we buy this. I believe that many of us have bought into the idea that the ultimate goal in life as a Christian is to survive and not give up the faith. 
I just want to hang on. I don't want to give up Jesus, but I'm just going to hang on. We certainly don't want to give up the faith, do we? But does that mean we are to live our lives with the least amount of collateral damage? <laughs> I just want to hang on until the end. I think the implications are subtle but potentially dangerous. We can almost communicate to other people, especially non-Christians, that the purpose of Jesus' life and death was to help us survive as opposed to changing us daily and forever. We're all guilty of that in one form or another. We need to be reminded again and again of the call of the Christian life to keep growing in Jesus. And that call comes by way, I think, of a biblical mandate that we see in Peter's letter here at the end. Just worth repeating, isn't it? He's saying this, I want you to grow. I want you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. That's a biblical bottom line for every one of us who professes to be followers of Jesus. In this statement, Peter has captured, I think, the substance and the purpose of the Christian life. The final purpose and outcome of all of you and I to go through this life is for one primary purpose. Why are you and I here? What's the chief end of man? <laughs> To glorify God. That's worth listening to again and again, isn't it? Why are you really alive and here? Peter is saying it's all about God. It's not about helping you get the most out of life or even being happy. It's that God would be seen and honored in our lives. So when it comes to this passage in this section, and particularly his final verse, uh, as we approach this get growing idea, I want you to get growing. <laughs> I want to suggest three things that I think are necessary foundations to understand in order to implement a life that reflects Jesus more consistently. I think they're both clear and implied in this section that Peter is giving us. What's necessary in terms of foundational assumptions for us to move on ahead, to get growing. And these are actually biblical assumptions that are foundational to living out what Peter says. But think about it again, friends, this last verse. You know what that is? Those are the last words of the Apostle Peter. He's done writing. He's done living. These are the final words of one of the apostles who followed Jesus every day. And he also died as a martyr for Jesus Christ. He wasn't just a, a pastor in passing. <laughs> he was an apostle that declared and grew in Jesus every day of his life, no matter what. And even Jesus predicted, this is how you're going to die, Peter. They're going to hang you. <laughs> They're going to persecute you. They're going to kill you just like they did me. These are the final words of a man like that. 
That was one of the lessons that he learned in life, and he wanted all the followers of Christ to know, you must get growing, keep growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. So before I send you out to get growing, I want you to remember three things that I think are clearly foundational to understand this passage and this portion of what Peter is leaving us with. And the first principle is simply this. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. That means he's in full control. You know, the context of this passage, if you read further in that chapter, is that Peter is reminding these struggling believers that the day of the Lord, it's coming. (laughs) These followers of Jesus he was writing to They've been going through a great deal of persecution and mocking about Jesus and particularly his second coming. Friends, the God you and I worship of the Bible, we believe the Bible teaches that that God is sovereign. He reigns over everything he's made. All things, all people are under his sovereign control. That is foundational for you and I to understand, to really grow as Christians. This theme, the day of the Lord, it's a major biblical theme throughout the scriptures. And the prophets of old described that day. It was often in terms of impending judgment. A day is coming that you need to be thinking about and be aware of. The prophet Joel says it this way, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near." And as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. Isaiah, that great prophet in chapter 2, said this, And the haughtiness of man, it shall be humbled. And the lofty pride of men shall be brought low. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And even Jesus had words about that final day. In Matthew 24, he says this, For this reason... You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. The day of the Lord. God has history in his hands, and there will be a day when time is no more. A day of judgment. In this context of this, of this day, people, people were mocking Peter's message They were saying, in essence, where is your good God now? Why hasn't he come to you to help you? And Peter wants to remind the believers of the essence of God's sovereign character regarding his timing. God is patient, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. If you'll turn back in that chapter of chapter 3, look at verses 8 and 9 right prior to what I just read to you earlier. Listen to what Peter says. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
This is why he opens his phrase in chapter 14, verse 14. He says simply, be waiting since you are waiting. We can't, we can't wait more confidently than knowing that our God reigns. He is sovereign over all things. How important is it for you and I to grow as Christians to know that our Father in heaven, as you have recited in the Apostles' Creed, he's the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's your God. How important is it for you and I to know before we begin as Christians growing? How, how important is it to know this? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's not a cocky arrogance. That's a promise that the sovereign God is saying, you're mine. You have trusted my son. You are mine. And I will do everything to not only watch over you, but to deliver you in that final day. Nothing can stand in the way of Almighty God. Friends, that's critical for you and me to grow as Christians. And Peter is, is reminding us that history is in the hands of God. But a second assumption Peter is assuming here, as you read that final statement especially, he's assuming that Jesus is our identity. <laughs> Who are you? Jesus is our identity. All that Peter has been talking about in his letters is the same message that all the apostles wrote. It's all about Jesus. Growth in the Christian life is growth in Jesus himself. We are called not to just live out his teachings, but we are called to live in him as we live out those teachings. Friends, this is a critical thing to understand. The Christian life is not living up to an image of teachings and trying to be a good person. No, the Christian life is living in Jesus. The uniqueness of the Christian faith is that God not only saves, but he actually abides in our lives. The final verse in this passage, I would suggest to you, makes absolutely no sense unless we see it in the context of living in and with the living Savior. That's why Peter tells us in the opening verse as well that I read, be diligent, make every effort to live a life that honors him and be at peace. That means an inner confirming awareness of God. And that simply means to glorify God every day and enjoy him. Why? Because what Paul reminds us in Romans 5, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what he's given you personally? He's given you peace. This doctrine of our union with Christ, not just our association or awareness of his teachings, our union with Christ, this doctrine deserves a full sermon. But let me leave this section by having Paul explain what exactly it means to have Jesus as our identity. It's in Galatians 2.20. 
If you've never memorized that, you should. <laughs> it's one of the most crisp and clear pictures. It's almost like someone said, Paul, who are you? And he doesn't pull out a resume and say, Here, I'm doing this and I'm working this. He just he answers the question this way. I have been crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, that's either a nice platitude about Jesus or there's something profound for us to understand. Paul's identity was so much in Christ, it's almost like he couldn't do anything without some sense of the presence of Jesus in his life. He didn't live to promote a cause or a movement. He lived to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Who are you? Why do you profess Jesus? Paul says, it's because I got no other life. I'm dead. I really have no identity. If you can't see Jesus in me, then I'm not who I say I am. I'm not trying to perform. I just naturally can't function without the awareness of Jesus. And by the way, I'm not satisfied. Towards the end of his life, he said, I'm forgetting what's behind and I'm pressing on. And the only goal he gave, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Believer, you who confess Jesus, are you satisfied? What, who are you? Get growing in your identity in Christ. And that's another good place to pause, to keep asking that question. Who are you? Where is your identity? But I think the final assumption I, I think Peter is building on is the fact that he's assuming that the Holy Spirit is critical, absolutely critical, to our growth in grace and knowledge. These, this passage, this message, this letter he is writing. No, the Holy Spirit is not mentioned in this passage. But I ask you, does it make any sense without the Holy Spirit? Without the presence of Almighty God? How do you think you, could, you and I can grow as Christians? Without the Holy Spirit. Peter is assuming that. Where does the true motivation come from? For you and I to want to grow and know Jesus better. Does it come from your guilt trip? Does it come from somebody else telling you what to do? I think it comes from what Paul mentions in Philippians 1. He said this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion. That's the judgment day. Why are you a Christian in the first place? It, it's because Jesus, the Spirit of God, went after you planted a seed, opened your eyes. You said, I need this man. I need Jesus. That's not you. That's Jesus. What keeps you going? <laughs> oh, I got to do better. Really? <laughs> no. It's the fact that Christ is in me and he keeps a holy restlessness going in my soul. I don't want to just play games with Jesus. I want to know him as he really is. You know, there can be no Christian growth without the spirit of Christ himself. He's that personal. He's that much in love with you and me. The Bible, which is our source for the knowledge of God in Christ, this will only be abstract information 
without the presence of Almighty God, without the Spirit of Jesus working in you. The reality of Jesus' saving and tender love, it'll only be a sentimental wish without the presence of the Spirit of God. This is why Peter is saying, I want you to grow in the grace, which is the experience of the presence of Jesus, as well as the knowledge of God. Yes, the battle to grow, it is real. It's competitive. The Bible says there are enemies all the time trying to track you and subversively distract you. Those enemies are simply this, the world. The world's got an agenda for you, keeps calling you to put these priorities first. Your own flesh, your struggle with sin within, and the devil himself are vehemently opposed to anybody who wants to take Jesus seriously, who wants to grow in him. But look again at what Peter reminds us, even in the opening chapter of this final letter, chapter 1, verse 3. Look what Peter reminds believers of right up front. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and his excellence. The spirit, the power of God is critical to our growth as Christians. So what about you and me? How are you and I, how are you dealing today with this call? Because it will affect your tomorrow. How are you doing in your growth in Christ? I'm not asking about your performance, just your hunger. Are you striving to grow in the knowledge of Jesus, in your presence and awareness of his walk with you? You know, sometimes you see that growth in grace and knowledge more clearly, I think sometimes, it has been for me, in people who have lived a life of faithfulness to God and Christ, and particularly towards the end of their lives. Maybe you've met that there have been wonderful seasoned believers in this church who Jesus has taken home. But you see the clear understanding of growing in the grace and knowledge when you watch people coming to the end of life who've been growing all their lives in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. I might have shared this in the past, but one of the strongest pictures for me is Mrs. Willie. <laughs> Mrs. Willie was my brother's uh, mother-in-law. And I still remember uh, his, his wife asking me if I would visit her mother. And she was dying, and I went to visit her in a nursing home. Mrs. Willie <laughs> had a strong and long faith and lived that faithfully in Jesus, even to the end. But the sad thing was, towards the end of her life, Mrs. Willie lost virtually all of her capacity to remember. Dementia started taking over this poor saint's life and her memory. I went to see Mrs. Willie with, with pictures of my brother and his wife and their children. And I would take these pictures and show them to Mrs. Willie. Mrs. Willie, remember, you remember your daughter and, and my brother? This is their family and their children, your grandchildren? She would say, that looks like a nice young family. Who are they? I picked up her marriage picture of Mr. Willie and Mrs. Willie. 
You remember this guy, Mrs. Willis, is your wedding picture. I don't know who they are. They seem like a nice couple. I'm filled with emotion. I'm thinking, oh my God, look what's happening. She can't remember. And so I decided I'd, I'm just going to read a little bit to her. So I opened a familiar psalm, Psalm 23. I started reading it. The Lord is my shepherd, and suddenly I shall not want. He will walk with me all the days of my life. She recited the whole thing in front of me. I just stopped, and she recited by memory Psalm 23. And I picked up a big old Bible in her room. It had Holy Bible on it. I said, Mrs. Willie, you know what this is? She looked at it, and she said, Holy Bible, book divine, precious treasure, thou art mine. It's a hymn. <laughs> she forgot her family. She remembered Jesus. He remembered her. Oh, friends, don't be satisfied with just getting through life. Know that your Savior will never forget you. And he will constantly be working. I saw Jesus in an older sister who in her mind forgot him. But he never forgot her. Where are those believers? Where I want, we need to be that kind of person with that kind of identity. We want people to see Jesus and it's not because we're trying to impress anyone. Because that's who we really are in life and death. We are followers of Jesus who can't get enough of him. So brothers and sisters, let's get growing for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's pray together. Our good and gracious Father in heaven, you are good. You are worthy of all praise. Because when we did not know you, you came to us to make yourself known, to save us. Jesus, thank you. You didn't just talk about it, you lived it, and you gave your life for us. So now as we come especially to your table, God, would you help us to see it is finished. All we need to do is rest and seek the Lord and grow in him. So bless us, we pray, in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.